Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, and some say you're one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered him and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. We are glad you're here with us on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast with Dr. John G. Mitchell. We are in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 20. Our study continues with the focus on our Savior and His interaction with the disciples concerning the revelation of His person by His Father. And in verse 17, Jesus reveals to Peter this revelation as being from His Father in heaven. And in verse 18, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church. This divine revelation of the Messiah is the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. And when the Holy Spirit came from heaven in Acts chapter 2, the church began through the preaching of Peter concerning this Jesus. While Paul and the New Testament apostles and prophets also built upon this revealed foundation of Christ himself. Well, let's join Dr. Mitchell here on the Unchanging Word Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we are studying the book of Matthew, and we have come to a tremendous portion of Scripture. We're dealing with chapter 16 and 17 of the book of Matthew, where for the first time, our Lord announces his program, announces his purpose, that he's going to suffer, die, be buried, be raised again from the dead. It's the first time in the New Testament where we have any intimation of what the Lord's going to do. He has been rejected by the nation Israel. We found this in the first 12 chapters. And then we have the opposition uh, by the leaders of Israel and by the people themselves in the chapters following, where he begins to manifest his power and his grace, yet they reject him. They want signs, and he said no sign will be given to them except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then he warns his disciples, the beginning of chapter 16, he warns his disciples about the leaven, the doctrines of the Pharisees, which was traditionalism, and the doctrines of the Sadducees, which is rationalism. 
In other words, the Pharisees added to the Word of God, and the Sadducees took away from the Word of God. Then he went away up north, Galilee, with his disciples, and he came to a place called Caesarea Philippi. He turned to his disciples, and he asked them a question. What are men saying about me? And you remember the various answers. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah, so one of the prophets. What do you think? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And our Lord said, Blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood hath not revealed us only, but my Father who was in heaven. The revelation of his person. This is the first time where he reveals himself to his disciples in this way. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this was the answer by revelation. Allow me to repeat it. You ask the average man, who is this Jesus of Nazareth? And the most of them will say, well, he was just a good man who lived many, many years ago, who suffered and died, a man who lived ahead of his time. Some even go so far as to say he was more than a man, but he was still just a man. And then is the answer by revelation. This Jesus of Nazareth is none other than the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. The answer by revelation. And I said in our last lesson, I repeat it, your relationship to this Jesus of Nazareth, my friend, will determine your eternal destiny. Uh, rejecting Jesus Christ, there's nothing left but death. As John 8.24 says, If you believe not that I am he, you will die in your sin. But if a man keep my saying, he will never see death. Now in verse 18, we, 18 through 20, we have the revelation of his purpose. And this is what we were discussing in our last lesson. The revelation of his purpose. God now, having revealed himself as the Son of God, is revealing his purpose. He goes on to say, Thou art Petros, and upon this Petra, this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Now we're down here concerning the teaching of his purpose, the revelation of his purpose, the great foundation, the church. He, he's declaring that a church, a, a, a church is going to be built. It's going to be on a, on a good foundation, and the foundation is so strong that all the gates of hell, the powers of darkness, cannot prevail against it. I want to talk to that point again for a moment. Remember, a church is a called-out company of people. There are those who say the church started with, uh, with Adam. There are those who say the church started with Moses. And there are others who believe the church started on the day of Pentecost. I personally believe this third one. I believe the church started on the day of Pentecost. You say, well, Israel was called the church in the wilderness. Well, the word itself means a called-out company. They were called out of, out of Egypt into the wilderness unto God. As Exodus 19 says, I brought you on eagles' wings to myself. And then you remember in the book of Acts chapter 19, uh, they, this pagan crown at Ephesus was called a church, an assembly. On the King James Version, it says it's called an assembly. Well, that's a called-out company of people. Now, certainly it was not the church of Jesus Christ. Israel is not the church of Jesus Christ. Upon this rock I will build my church. Church is built upon Jesus Christ. 
He's the rock, not Peter. Our Savior is the rock. Now, you remember the psalmist talked about that in 18 Psalm, the second verse, where he says, the Lord is our rock. In, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the fourth verse, we read, and that rock which followed them was Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 3.11, where Paul says, no other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, a church must have materials. And Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, the fifth verse says that we are living stones in the building. Our Lord is the chief cornerstone. He's the foundation stone. And we are as living stones built upon the foundation Christ Jesus. Peter speaks of this. And by the way, it's another reason why Peter's not the rock. We were quoting the other day, 1 Peter 5, 1, where Peter says he was an elder with the rest of them. Now he says we're just living stones set in the building. In Ephesians chapter 2, and the last three verses, speaks again of Christ being, being the chief cornerstone among whom whole building fitly framed and compacted together, we grow to a holy temple unto the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation through the Spirit. We belong to the church of Christ, members of an eternal company of people. I just want to make that very, very clear. This is what God is doing today. He's gathering out a people for his name. And it goes on to say there's going to be opposition to this church, for we read that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Oh, how glad I am that I belong to a company of people that death and hell have no place. You remember in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, where we read, speak, speaking of our Savior, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I carry on my girdle the keys, the authority of death and of hell. Likewise, in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15, where one of the reasons why the Lord became incarnate, he took his place in the human family for what purpose? That he might destroy, he might render powerless him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver us who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. It's a wonderful thing, you know, to belong to Jesus Christ. And we belong to the church of Jesus Christ. And as we said in our last lesson, in Acts chapter 15, the purpose of God today is dealing with individuals. God at the first, Peter declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And when he's through building the church, when it's completed, he's going to take the church from this scene and again return to the earth and build up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down and so on. Uh, I'm quoting from Acts chapter 15. You know, the next thing on God's program, the completion of this purpose, the day is come when the last member of the body of Christ is going to be gathered in. And when that takes place, I don't know when it's going to be. It may be today. I've got no right to say it won't be today that the last member of the church will be gathered in. And the Lord Jesus said, in that day I will come for you and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's why we love that verse, those verses in Thessalonians chapter 4. I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not as the rest who have no hope. 
if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not go ahead of those who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. God grant it may happen today. For the dead in Christ will be raised. My, what a day that'll be. What a day when the dead mother and the living daughter shall be reunited and never again to experience separation. The living husband and the dead wife will be joined together never again to be separated. I'll tell you as a pastor, I, I have been in so many homes, hundreds of homes where death has come. And oh, what a comfort, what a hope we have. And just as sure as Jesus Christ died and rose again, so every believer will be raised from the dead, and we who are alive on the earth at that time shall be reunited with them and caught up to meet the Lord in the air. This will be the completion of the church, to come, come in the presence of God and see him face to face. When we exchange our faith for sight, exchange earth for heaven, weakness for glory. Oh, brother, no wonder Paul said, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. No wonder it's called the blessed hope. And may it take place today. Now listen, why doesn't the Lord come? Because he is still doing a job building a church made up of living stones, and the gates of hell will not prevent the purpose of God being accomplished. Oh, what a confidence, what an assurance, what a hope, what a peace, what a rest it brings to our hearts when we know that an eternal sovereign God is going to complete that purpose in spite of all the powers of hell and the powers of nature. You know that in those precious verses in the book of Isaiah chapter 40 when it says, the nations of the earth are reputed before him as the dust in the balance, just a drop in the bucket. Yea, they're less than nothing. And old Nebuchadnezzar in, Deuter in Daniel chapter 4 learned that lesson that the Most High ruleth over the affairs of men. He put it up, kings, and put it down, kings. And none can say to him, what doest thou? Oh, he's going to work out his purpose. What's his purpose? He's going to build a church. Upon who? Upon the Son of God. He's the foundation. And we believers are living stones in the building, knitted together for the habitation of God through the Spirit. All the powers of men in darkness and hell will not stop the purpose of God being consummated. Now, in verses 19 and 20, quite following that, uh, we have the power of administration given to the apostles in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, what is the purpose? He's going to build a church. Now it says over here, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now some say this was given to the apostles. Some say it was given to Peter. Be that as it may, it's rather uh, refreshing to notice that Peter was the one who on the day of Pentecost opened the gospel doors to, to the Jews of his day in chapter 2 and chapter 3. Then in chapter 4 and chapter 5 of Acts, he gives a testimony and a rebuke to the leaders of Israel. Then in chapter 8, or in chapter 10, I should say, you have where Peter goes down to the house of Cornelius, and he brings for the first time the wonderful message of redemption to the Gentiles. 
And in chapter 12, Peter goes off the scene, and Paul comes on the scene. Now, I said a moment ago, it's a question he has given to us, uh, the power uh, of discipline, the power of administration. It doesn't say he's given to us the keys of the church, but the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is the wherever his name is mentioned. You know, I was saying in chapter 13, uh, the king having been rejected by the nation, he begins to give us something about the purpose of this age. It was started by the testimony of Peter and then by the apostle Paul. I'm quoting from the book of Acts. The first 12 chapters, you have Peter. From 30 through 28, you have Paul. And you notice in both cases, they both manifested administrative authority. For example, uh, you have the Apostle Paul in chapter 13, where he, where he binds a man and uh, declares him he would be dumb for a season. Or you have it, for example, in Corinthians chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul delivered a young man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, power to forgive and power to lose. And both Peter and Paul manifest this. Uh, you have Peter, for example, in Acts chapter 5, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, where you remember in the end of chapter 4, Barnabas sold his possessions and he, he brought the the product of the sale, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then you have Ananias and Sapphira, the next chapter. They took their property and sold it, and they brought just part of the, of the product of their sale to Peter, intimating that this was all that they got. In other words, they were deceiving in their gift. And Peter manifested this authority. And death was pronounced on Ananias. And they carried his body out. And then Sapphira came in, and Peter asked her the same questions, and she said, yes, that's correct. Ananias told you the truth. All right, he said, the young man who carried your husband was going to carry you out. Now, I, I couldn't do that. I don't have any man today who can do it. This was authority granted to the apostles, administrative authority to, to set free or to loose. This is not in the church, but rather in the sphere of profession. I don't want to go any further in that except to mention this fact. All you have at the Apostle Paul again with respect to a, a doctrinal issue in 1 Timothy chapter 1 where Paul delivered certain ones over to Satan that they might learn not to blaspheme. In chapter 5 of Acts, in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, you've got a moral issue. Whereas when you come to Timothy, it's a it's a physical, it's a doctrinal issue. I think you have the same thing in the epistle of John, chapter 5. There's a sin unto death, and I do not say you'll make inquiry concerning it. In other words, my friend, it's possible for a Christian to die prematurely. But this is in the field of administration, apostolic authority. And this is what the Lord Jesus gave to the disciples. Now, following this is a question raised. How is God going to build a church? How can God take men and women who are born in sin and shapen in iniquity and make them an eternal company of people? 
Now, how is he going to do that? So there comes from verses 21 on the revelation of his program in verse 21. The revelation of his program, how he's going to carry out that purpose. You see, again, I'm going to give you that, that broad vision of it. The revelation of his person, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and this determines our eternal destiny. Then it's followed in verses, verse 18 through 20, the revelation of his purpose. He's going to build a church made up of individual believers born again by the Spirit of God, knitted to Christ in resurrection. And they become a, a company called the church, which is the body of Christ. This is what God is doing today. But how can he take men and women who are going to be members of that church and fit them to be an eternal body? So we have the revelation of his program from in verse 21, which we'll take up in our next lesson. In the meantime, I wish you might continue to read the word of God. And by the way, you know, it wouldn't hurt some of you folk to drop me a line. If the Lord is blessing these messages to your heart, or if you've come to know the Savior, or if you've come to to assurance in your life because of this ministry of the Word of God. Won't you drop us a line? We'd just love to hear from you. How I'm encouraged when people write of the blessing of the ministry of the Word of God has been in their own hearts and lives. And may the Lord wonderfully, richly, marvelously bless you today for his name's sake.
We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. You may write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word radio broadcast. Life begins again.